Take your seats, family of God. How many of you here have ever been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? All right. God said he would put his name on Jerusalem. And the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Shin, which is a symbol for God. You'll often see Jews will wear a pendulum. We, you've seen the little star of David, you call it the star. It's actually a shield of David, Mogendobit. It's a shield, six-pointed star. It's an indication of the sun. We are children of the light. Muslims have a half moon and star. They're the children of the night. We're the children of the light and day. And anyway, they'll also wear, whether they'll wear the letter Shin, which is the letter for God. And it has three little arms with a top on it, like that Shin. And if you look at Jerusalem from an aerial view, you will see the three valleys of Jerusalem come together and form a natural Shin. It's like God put his name on the city. But the first valley is called the Kidron. It separates the Mount of Olives from the main peninsula which Jerusalem is seated on. And the Mount of Olives is a place that our Lord Jesus spent a lot of his time. He loved the Mount of Olives. But if you look at the Mount of Olives today and in the time of Jesus, you will see as you go down the valley on the other side, there were a lot of graves, a lot of white graves. People put, were very wealthy that were able to put graves there because from before the time of Jesus, all the prophecies said that the Messiah will come there. He'll come on the Mount of Olives. He'll come there. When Jesus ascended, he left from the Mount of Olives. And the angel said, men of Judea, why do you look up in the sky? In the same way that you see him, he will return. So he'll come back on the Mount of Olives. And uh, the reason why I'm telling you all of this is there's an anticipation for many thousands of years for the Messiah. In the book of the Jewish Bible, the main section is the Tanakh, which is the first five books of Moses, which is all the basis and foundation of all the faith of the Jews. And then there is additional books that are put together, canon of 24 altogether, including the Tanakh, and it's called the Torah. And it's what you study. And in the Torah, there are different books, including the book of Isaiah. Our Bible consists of 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Many theologians believe that the chapters of Isaiah line up prophetically with all our books in the Bible. Isaiah is one of the most profound prophets and books and very much studied even in the time of Jesus. There are many, I think I counted one time in the 30 different scriptures and prophecies in Isaiah about the Messiah, describing him not only born to a virgin and from the house of David, one that would heal the sick, the blind eyes would be open and the deaf would hear. Many scriptures were prediction, predicting this and they were studying and expecting the Messiah to come. The kind of Messiah they were looking for was one to lead the nation into a place of victory, delivering them from the Roman oppression, 
dominance, empire, as so many times there were saviors that helped them, that God used to deliver the nation of Israel. But the savior that came, came from far more permanent deliverance than they were anticipating. This Jesus was amazingly gifted and powerful and did a lot of miracles and nobody denied it. Yet, they had a difficulty accepting him as the Messiah because of the message or the kingdom that he preached. It was never contradictory to the scriptures that they taught from the law and the ways of Moses, yet it was so adverse still for them and he appealed to a lot of the sinners. Nothing could they fault him on scriptures because he kept to the law to a fine closeness. But in the life of Jesus, he was born to a virgin. Of course, he was the virgin that he was in Nazareth. And of course, he was born in Bethlehem. The circumstances around his birth were because of the census. He was born in 6 BC. King Herod, who was persecuting him, wanting to kill him, died in 4 BC. And there was a census of a Roman great magnitude in 6 BC, as well as historically, even today, we know factually, scientifically, there was a very strange alignment of stars for several days at that time too. So, so many things point to 6 BC for our Lord Jesus being born right at that time. It's just a calendar situation. Now, why am I telling you all this is, I want to introduce you to someone that is so unknown that to me is one of the most remarkable people in the Bible. It is also very clear to me in my walk with the Lord, all the years I've known him, that women have always been God's secret weapon. That God has, every time something profound happened, a woman was in the mix. And even though they weren't recognized, appreciated, honored, God used women most powerfully. And this is an account of such a person again. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was betrothed. And I need to tell you Gentiles what that means to us. In traditional, very orthodox Jews, we pay very high dollar to recruit a matchmaker. Because what we do is... People here in the world, we find someone attractive, usually physically first, and then we date them, marry them, and then struggle to get along with them because we have so little in common. It's a lifelong struggle. In the Jewish faith, the matchmaker will start a child off in a very early age and begin to look for things that will cause the couples to be united and have won many things in common. When I asked my three girls one time, I needed a secretary for the ministry, what I should be looking for. They described in detail uh, the requirements for someone to work in our ministry office. And so I said, so girls, you're telling me I must ask of these things before I even interview someone, correct? And they had more requirements. So then I asked my girls, and how come you date someone that doesn't fit any of your requirements like being saved, like being 
of the same sport, the same culture, the same, why do you go for someone so opposite outside that you know would have many challenges you have nothing in common with? And so that was the thing that many years ago I spoke about. And it seems that the matchmakers very much focus on it. Now, from my years that I, in the Jewish culture that I, was, that I grew up in, and many Jewish families that I knew that had matchmakers, their marriages were very solid and very healthy because they got, grew to love each other and were based on very healthy foundations. And while our idea of how we should be attracted to someone, we see how that works out for us in our society. We go through so many divorces and keep trying. Let's put that aside. Mary was betrothed to an older man that was a distant relative. He came from Bethlehem. He was a builder, not a woodworker. He was a builder. And he came and lived in Nazareth, which is a very strange little nothing town. Up on a hill, not on the way to anywhere, no particular industry, just a little village. And that's where Mary grew up. Now, being betrothed means she wasn't of age enough to get married. That means she was 15 or younger. She had to be 16 to get married. They did marry sometimes at 15, but it was rare. And so this, bet this betrothed young girl was walking outside her village when she meets an angel, someone that may look like a person, take on different form, we don't know. But the angel spoke to her and she had a conversation, two-way conversation. Blessed are you, the angel said, amongst women, for you are going to have a baby. And she said, how can I have a baby? I'm not even married. And he said, God himself is going to make you pregnant. Now, something like that to a 15-year-old must be extremely bizarre. You cannot tell me, she would say, oh, that just confirms what I was really thinking. <laughs> it was a very far from her mind or her relative way of even referring to God. And I admire her for saying to the angel, let it be to me according to his will. If it's God's will, I will do it. She was so willing to do whatever God says. I'm still yet to be quite like that. I thought I was until God began to challenge me and show me the many things that I don't really want to do. We struggle to obey God even though we say we are obedient until he asks us, if I should prophesy over you today that God would like you to go to Hawaii for a week on vacation, you would be glad to go and no need of any confirmation. <laughs> if I prophesied over you that God is asking of you, each one, to give $1,000 in the offering, you'd break out in a sweat and ask God for several confirmations. In fact, you'd probably appeal to him for an angelic visitation because there are things that are just harder to do for our natural man. Going on vacation and spending many thousands of dollars is not hard on ourselves, but giving to God is always a challenge. That's just one example. Now, stay with me. What baffled me about Mary, the angel visiting her, tells her she's pregnant. She hides the word in her heart and does not tell anyone. At the same time, the angel's talking to her, and he says, and, and see, your cousin is with child. Six months. Now, understand this, that they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have any phones. They didn't have any way of communicating. She lived more than a week's walk away from Elizabeth. And I must tell you about Elizabeth. 
because I see my Gentile friends don't know anything about her and I want to introduce you to this amazing, fantastic woman. Her husband's name is Zechariah and they are both from a Levitical family, which is unusual. Elizabeth and Zechariah came from Aaron, Aaron's own bloodline, and that would make them regarded as noble, more kingly. And so Zechariah was part of a division, which would take the Levites and divide them up, and they perform duties. He lived in the Judean hills, which would have been south of Jerusalem. They would have had a little small holding, perhaps, and a little community they were part of. And he'd go with his division to serve in the temple for six weeks or seasons that was required of him. It happens so when he, this is how his life would have been. He would have taken his little bundle of clothes and little shaving kits, whatever else he needed. And he would walk with his, and meet all his division at the temple and the temple rooms. And he would look for his place to sleep, bungalow, and prepare him, prepare it for him, him to take over from the previous division. And he'd look for garments, priestly garments to wear. In, on the, on this temple mount in the time of Jesus, we had a temple mount, which is still there today, which has a size of about 14 football fields. This was built by Herod in the second temple period, the time of Christ. And then you had an outer, an outer court, which is very, very large, which was called the court of the Gentiles. A step would separate them from the next place that only Jews were allowed to walk. And they'd walk closer and women and children all could move in, in closer. And the first outer court of the temple was permissible for everyone, including women, where they would do bar mitzvah and they would do weddings and they would do dedications and everything like that. But the inner court was only for sacrifice for men and they would have a huge place where they sacrificed animals. On a time like Easter, they would sacrifice easily 3,000 sheep. They would have to butcher them. They had a whole drainage system and water system. It was that bigger thing. And then you have the magnificent temple in that same space. And inside the temple, with these big golden doors, you'd open these doors and go inside. On the right-hand side was a table with showbread, which was replaced once a week and would not miraculously get old. And then they'd also have a menorah, a huge, solid candle ca calabra with seven vestibules of oil burning in them. Night and day, seven days a week, specialized, very holy oil, indicating the presence of God in Israel. And then you'd walk up to this long ceiling-to-floor uh, uh, curtain, which was the veil separating the Holy of Holies with a rock inside there. And of course, right before it was a little altar with little four horns, which was the altar of incense. And it was the job of the priest that was selected to light the incense. The incense would carry the prayers of people up to God. The incense was the prophetic indicator for that because the nose is the only object that had not been polluted by sin. And so it was holy going to God would your prayer carry your prayers with incense. And so it, they would take these little stones in a big bag and you would have letters on it and Zechariah got a letter that meant he was chosen to go in there. He was not the man that was excited to go. He went and did his duty and he met an angel in there telling him that he's going to have a son. And of course he has this debate and his response is so less like Elizabeth's and not full of faith. 
and he argues and the angel makes him dumb and he cannot talk. He comes out unable to speak. He goes home after his time of duty and of course Elizabeth falls pregnant and the Bible tells us that for five months they kept her in seclusion. They could not have children. The Bible says she was without child and barren which meant she was about 40 years old without any children at all. It was a shame for a Jew, a Jewish lady not to have children. It was hard on them emotionally because it was, would be considered God's blessing. Now she was about 40 and Mary was about 15, which meant being cousins, they would see one another at different festivals at the temple possibly, but they were not people that hung out because she was 40 and, and Mary was 15. They were not buddies because they, she could have been her, a child. That's the age difference between the two of them. So when Mary decided, when she heard the angel tell her that, look, your cousin is pregnant, the Bible says that Mary got immediately ready to leave to go and see the cousin. Now, how did that work? She's only 15. She's not going to walk a week by herself. And no father who's got a betrothed daughter is going to allow her to do that. So he must have been persuaded and allowed his servants with the donkeys and all the supplies to take her because it is the cousin. And she may have found some story, some I'm going to festival before I get married, whatever else it might have been. And she walks the entire week going there. To go to Jerusalem was not a small thing. You had it very hilly and not always safe. And then you had to always calculate Shabbat. Shabbat or Sabbath is a big thing for a Jew. And you can't just be walking. You can't just be staying anywhere. You've got to celebrate Shabbat carefully and be prepared for it. And so you'd have to reckon it in in your time. However, she arrives at Elizabeth's house. And this is what is so stunning to me in the book of Luke chapter 1. We read about her arriving. It says in verse 39 of the first chapter of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear, you will bear. Now, she's just got pregnant. Nobody knows. She's not showing. She's just barely pregnant a week or two. And this is what, what Elizabeth says, which is stunning. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. This is so different to Zechariah. This woman has revelation that not only is this woman, her cousin, pregnant, she's carrying someone of greatness, her Lord, her Savior. So much so great that she feels humbled that why would he even come to my house? Why? I'm not worthy, even though she's from a priestly wow. and a kingly noble family of Aaron. She, and she's pregnant and blessed of God, and her husband's a priest in the temple on, on occasion. She feels that she's so unworthy. She's got the magnitude 
of what this baby is inside of Mary. Now think how Mary must feel who's 15, having met an angel and not told a single soul and thought maybe I was ate too much pizza the night before. And here her cousin is heralding such a profound word of God to her that she's carrying my Lord. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is he who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now understand what's going on in Elizabeth's life. She has not been pregnant for so many years, been shamed. Her husband came back and he was not talking, but she got pregnant. Then she was in seclusion for five months and here walks a cousin that she hardly even knows and immediately the revelation hits her that this is a, she's carrying something of greatness even though she shows no pregnant signs and she prophesies this amazing thing. So in my mind, Elizabeth is no ordinary woman. She's carrying this child called John the Baptist and according to Jesus, he was the greatest man. On earth, no one greater than him. And he was Elijah having come. Now this young man, young boy, this baby, was destined to be a forerunner. To be someone that would awaken Israel, revivalist, to bring them to attention to know God. So that in their spirituality, in their awakening to God, they might have a chance to recognize what God has sent That was his job. And it wasn't Zechariah, I just know because I know that trained this boy. I'm fully persuaded because of Elizabeth's depth and maturity and spirituality, she would take that baby day after day, pray, nurture, teach God's ways to this boy. She would wear him down, she would prepare him and constantly get him ready for his task. John did not have any normal life. He didn't have a girlfriend. He never went to the movies. He didn't have any fun whatsoever. His whole life was dedicated to one cause. His mother had drilled him all his life spiritually for the supernatural. The Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon her and she prophesied. The baby leapt inside of her so he received the Spirit too. When they asked Jesus in Luke 11 to teach them to pray, teach us to pray, Master, as John taught his disciples. What made John and Jesus so different in their prayer life was both Jesus and John had had the Holy Spirit from birth. And so John the Baptist had the Holy Ghost and he wasn't like anyone else. He would go to the desert, the scriptures tell us, In the desert, for those who have not been to Israel, Jerusalem is about 2,700 feet above sea level. It has got seven hills, of which Moriah, which is one of the hills which is the temple, is built on. And he would go down to the desert, which is at the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level. The climate would be radically changed and dry. In this region, we have what's known as the Dead Sea, which is a result of Sodom and Gomorrah's volcanic explosion that spat all the minerals and volcanic things into the water to make it as it is today. 
and the streams would fill it, and so would the Jordan keep filling it. And of course, it, it is very thick. For those that come, we make sure that all our participants get to swim in the Dead Sea. It's a, an experience of a lifetime. Anyway, so he went down to the Dead Sea because at that time, in Jerusalem, there were several groups, religious groups, and the politics had gotten so intense with the Romans and the Pharisees in their plight to try and protect and preserve the Israelites because this governor that come from Caesar, am I boring you? No. Are you all with me still? Yes. It sounds like you're at school now. I'm restoring, restoring giving you a school class. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. So at that time, a man, a governor had come from Israel and he was not excited about Pilate was his name, Pontius. He wasn't excited. It was for him an insult and beneath him to go to this outpost called Israel. And when he had the first uprising, of, he killed 6,000. He annihilated and obliterated 6,000 Jews. And so it was very much on the hearts of the high priest and the different Sanhedrin to fight as hard as they can to compromise with the Romans to protect the Jews. That's why Ananias eventually said, better one man die than the whole nation. Not knowing that he was prophesying over the Savior doing much bigger things than he realized with the words he was saying. But that's what he meant. He was trying to protect still the Israelites, the Jews. And so with all the politics going on, there were several groups. There were Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees were a smaller group, much like the Pharisees, but they had three different doctrinal differences. One of which, and the main one, was that they clung to the first five books of Moses and didn't accept the rest of the Tanakh and the other readings. They also didn't believe in, the, in eternal life. They believed there was no life after death. But they were also very wealthy and they would debate and argue all the time. All they would do. But there was other groups too, like the Zealots. But particularly there was a group that were known as the Hessenes. You could tell that someone was a Hessene that come walking by you with long white garments like a monk. And they were men that were not married and they were not given to marriage. They lived like monks, dedicated to God, anticipating this end time war that would come and they separated themselves from Jerusalem tired of the compromise and they formed a monastery down in the desert called Qumran and Qumran would be right there at the Dead Sea and they would write what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls 11 caves would be housed in it was housed when the Romans took over and there was so much trouble and they were persecuting the Jews they buried them they, and they found, of course, there are 24 books in the Tanakh and only 23 were reproduced because the book Esther did not mention God. So they refused to repeat or reproduce the book because it wasn't spiritual enough. And that's how spiritual these people were, full of fasting and prayer. And they had an amazing water system to ensure they had big ceremonial mikvah which are baptismal baths. And they were baptismal crazy because it's a sanctification. They were holiness extremes. And John the Baptist was part of that for two years of his life. He broke away from that right before they, they inaugurated him and brought him into it and became one of them. And that's when he launched his ministry. It was in that region where close, not long, not far distance, where the Jordan, where Jesus was baptized and where he also spent 40 days and 40 nights. But the life of John the Baptist was devoted to this. And this woman, Elizabeth, had been so 
focused, I'm sure, the one to prepare John to make him the man that he was to be so on target and so fearless in his preaching. He never did one single miracle. The book of Isaiah says that the blind eyes would open, deaf would hear, and he would do many miracles. And he says that he would, that says that he would die, he would be nailed to a tree in shame, the sin of us all would be upon him. There are many Isaiah scriptures that the Jews would study, but they would not recognize. He kept their eyes blind, the scripture says, that they would not recognize who he was. In fact, on one occasion in Capernaum where he lived, he went to the synagogue and these scrolls like Isaiah would be huge, long scrolls of one continual papyrus piece of paper and it would be turned from one to the other. You couldn't page through it. And so every time you'd go up as a, on a Shabbat and read, as they took turns to read, when Jesus' turn came, it happened to be the book of Isaiah and happened to be where he said that the spirit of the Lord is on me. Just happened to be coincidentally that part. And then he said, today, this prophecy is in fulfillment. You can hear it in your own ears today. And he was saying, I'm that person that is talking and made them very angry because he was, he was a Jew, as you know, in every way. And they didn't care for, they were looking for him a certain kind of Messiah. But he was given to many miracles. And so much so that in the book of John, chapter 9, he's on the, at Christmas time, in a certain feast course you may know as Hanukkah. He's up there on this mountain of Solomon's porch preaching. And the Jews corner him and say, now stop keeping us in suspense. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And he said to them, I did tell you but you didn't believe. And so they picked up stones to want to stone him. And he said, for which of the miracles are you stoning me? And the reason why he said that is because that's what they were looking for. That was one of the signs for the Messiah. John the Baptist was asked by them, are you the Messiah? Because of his preaching. But he hadn't healed one single person. John the Baptist himself was very excited about Jesus and prophesied that here, behold the Lamb of God, whose shoes I'm not worthy to tie. You must baptize me, he said, John. He said, John, no, I cannot baptize you. You should baptize me. No, all things are fulfilled. You must baptize me. And so John would recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But at the end of his life, because of him preaching against one of the kings of Herod of Tiberias, who had built a whole palace in Tiberias, which is a town on the Lake of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level, which is away from Jerusalem, uh, and, and his bad morals, the Salome, the one he had prophesied because of, had required his head. And so he was in prison in Galilee, in this Tiberius um, palace, in, the, in their little prison. And he sent word with one of his own disciples, John's disciples, to Jesus while he was preaching to ask him, are you the one? This is the end of John's life after three years of watching Jesus and all the miracles. And this is the answer of Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 11, he said, go and tell him that the blind eyes are opened, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the good news, and lepers are cured, sorry, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then he turns to the crowd and said, blessed is the man that doesn't take an offense on my account. That's what he said. And he had to go tell John because John was struggling 
with a message. He couldn't prove that he's the Messiah by the message, but by the miracles. Remind him that I'm doing miracles, and that's the sign in Isaiah. You should know that. Because what was so confusing to John was the message. And let me stop there for a moment. There's only one gospel, only one message. And yet, so often, people corrupt it, change it, and try and push it back into religious control and legalism. Let me explain. When Paul preached, he went on three missionary journeys and one area called Galatia, he had preached and had breakthroughs and people getting saved and they were saved from nothing. They weren't any religion at all. And then he found that those Galatians that were born again and spirit-filled became Jews, went back to Judaism. They didn't have it to start with, but they wanted that now after salvation. So he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish, you foolish Galatians, foolish. Who has bewitched you? Because for you must be bewitched, somehow influenced by demons, if you would go back to the law. You were saved by grace, but yet you went to the law. Why would you do that? Why would you give up your freedom? And so it's, there's a constant desire to want to have religion in our lives. We do it all the time. Look at our building, look at our chairs. We keep on having patterns to try and live by. And there was Aaron who so clearly saw the glory of God on the mountain and was invited to go and taste of God's glory, but they were afraid. So he sent Moses up there. And while Moses up there, knowing full well that's God and Moses are talking, they build a golden calf. You've got to be brain damaged to want to worship something that you made while you could have had God. What is wrong with you? And yet we keep on doing, we keep on building more legalism, more laws, more regulation, more things we want. We, we don't know how to measure that we're good Christians. If I read my Bible that many hours a day, or if I can study or pray that much or go to church every Sunday, then I'm a good Christian. It's all about faith in relationship to our Lord Jesus. You're saved by faith. You're justified by faith. You're sanctified by faith in the Lord Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? It's all scripture, what the word of God says. And yet people keep trying to earn their Christianity. And there is no such thing. And so we keep trying to box and find new rules and new ways. We must not let anyone steal our freedom. He paid a great price for it. John the Baptist could not for any reason can think that this Jesus is the Messiah. John was preaching repent, was preaching harshly. And Jesus, all he would say is, come unto me, all you gender-challenged people. Come unto me, you drunkards, you drug addicts, you wife abusers. Come unto me, all you divorcees and, and failures and thieves and murderers. Come unto me, you rapists, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, first get your life right. He said, Come just as you are. And John could not process that. And nobody could fault it because people came and got changed. They referred to Mary from Magdala as a woman that had seven demons that left her. That means she was seriously messed up and got free and healed in their lives. So many people wanted to follow him because they got healed and delivered. They came from all over to listen to him speak because of the message was so touching and his presence was so powerful. He fed the 5,000, healed the sick and raised the dead, did so many great things. And the word spread through all the nation and yet 
they were quite comfortable crucifying him. The savior that we so enjoyed today. May I ask you please then not to waste or trample on the blood of our lamb, our savior, by by repenting of the same thing over and over, by talking about sin that has been under the blood for so long, by gossiping about someone else's life, by doing all the things he told you not to do, he bought you with such an expensive price. God didn't have a several sons he could pick from. He gave the only one he had. He gave all he had. There was no more to give. He paid the ultimate price. And the reason is because you're made in his image. You're not an angel. For the first time in all his creation, he took his own DNA and reproduced himself. You are so important with all your struggles and messed upness. God is not the least bit stressed by your struggles. He has no problem with weakness. It's actually the wickedness that God hates. He said, one of you is a devil. He spoke about Judas. Now, my argument is, when he said that, the other guys are going, who, who, who is it? Dummies? You can't recognize someone's messed up? Why? Because he's preaching the gospel. He's delivering people and he's healing the sick. He looked just like the rest of them. But inside, he was a devil. Now, Peter denied the Lord. In fact, Jesus said tonight, you can deny me three times. No way, way. And when you come back, when you come back, Peter, I want you to encourage the brethren. So he hadn't even messed up yet, and he was restored. That's the nature of Jesus. That's the message of Christ. That's the true gospel. Why didn't Jesus stop him? If he's going to mess up, because we are people. And in our life's journey, God doesn't want us to mess up, but there are things that are going to happen. Paul sought the Lord three times about a thorn in his flesh, and God could have delivered him. But he said, my grace is enough for you. I'll take care of you. I got you covered. Yeah, I know you got me covered. Can you set me free, please? I got you covered. That's the nature of God, because I know that you are weak. I know who you are. I'm your covering. I'm your righteousness. I'm your helper. There is no gospel like that. We cannot pervert it or change it. People that are used of God, they're in this church today. They are people that do not get the high profile credibility and applause. I tell you, Elizabeth never was celebrated. Nobody said she's a great woman of God. But if she hadn't done what she had done and worked with John the Baptist, we might not have had our Savior Jesus function the way he did and might not be sitting here today redeemed. He, she played a very valuable role and never got credit for it to, the, to this day. And why am I telling you that? Because in this church, there are people that do things for God that nobody even notices. No one sees it, but God, but God, but God sees it. And he's the one that's going to reward you because blessed are you when people do not reward you that God himself rewards you. Greater will you reward. You've got your reward of man already. You have your reward. But if you let God reward you, the blessing is so much better. So I'm here to tell you about the, how important some people are that are not even recognized. You may feel that you are not worth anything and the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He will always tabulate and speak and decree and put you down and accuse. He is the accuser. He'll always tell you how rotten and how bad you are. And others will help them, help the devil and accuse you too. But if you know who you are in our Lord Jesus and you know that he paid a great price and he redeemed you, God's love is endless. His mercies are new every morning. There is nothing and nobody like it. It's, it's irrelevant where you've been, what you've done and how you failed. God is in 
intensely in love with you and wants you to be redeemed. He wants not one to be saved. My friends all love John 3.16. I love John 3.17. That's my favorite verse, that the Son of Man has not come to condemn. He didn't come to condemn and judge. He didn't come to find fault. He came that you just may have life. He didn't come to make life difficult. He came to help you. He came to make your life better. I have come that you may have life and have it in a Abundance. God wants you to be happy. The things that make you think that make you happy are not the things that satisfy. Paul said, I've found the secret to contentment. It's a secret because nobody gets it. I'm content whether I'm poor or rich, whether I'm sick or healthy. I'm content because my contentment's not in my circumstance, but in Him. I found the contentment in Him. And I want you to know Him. I want you to know him and quit your religious, legalistic, boring struggles, trying to be the best Christian. Follow him. It is not possible for you to continue in some of your ways. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not a warning threat. It is a promise. If you're loving him, it will be the easiest thing to keep. His... You don't have to try. It comes naturally. So if you're not keeping commandments, you're not doing what's right, it's because you're not really in love with the Lord. You got your distance from Him. My greatest anxiety in my life is Christians that are born again and spiritual that become disconnected from the Lord because whatever reason it is, whether shame, religion, <laughs> ignorance, they don't maintain the intimacy with Him. There is nothing like it. He loves you, wants to fellowship with you. You need to get your coffee out in the morning and sit down and have, some, have a talk with Him. Skip your long list of prayer requests with you, a little shopping list. Skip that and sit down and talk with the Lord. Tell him what's bothering you. Talk to him, but listen when he talks because he wants to have a conversation with you. He's paid a very dear price to get you in that place where he can fellowship with you and talk with you. He's waiting for you. He came in the cool of the day each time to Adam, not because he got hot. He came waiting for Adam, which time would work for Adam and Eve. And he's waiting for you to give him a few minutes a day. But you're so busy all day with your job and your religion, generosity and all the stuff and your gym and your this and that. Make, give me 10 minutes, God says. Give me just 10 where you can just fellowship with me, just me. Not in your truck on the way to work. Not in your walking the dog. Not in your gym, your gym routine. No, I want it to be just you and me. Just give me 10 minutes that's just mine. Amen. And I promise you, your life will change. You'll begin to enjoy the wonderful Savior that He is. Amen. There are people in this room today that are not noticed, that like Elizabeth... God, no, God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. God sees you. All right, that's enough teaching for one night. We're going to prophesy. It's already, it is 0806, right? That little light's missing. Looks like U8. All right, so your light needs replacing there. So, 8 o'clock, 807. All right, come here. Bring those books, Mr. Trout. Mr. Eric Trout gave me four of my grandkids this, this fella did they're this, unfortunately the most expensive ones and they're always cool when I'm in church I don't know why you can't control your kids uh, my newest my newest book is interpreting dreams I wrote this book to help people understand you dream every night you sleep every night you dream God speaks to Pharaoh he speaks to the Pontius Pilate's wife he speaks to the wise men, he speaks to people in dreams constantly. And sometimes it's so bizarre, the dream, but they're symbolic. And I teach you how to 
understand your dreams. If they're for you, for someone else, what it means. And then I have a dictionary back here. It's a very good book. I spent a lot of time and love of my life and energy putting this book together. I really want you to get the full use of it. In fact, I'm quite concerned if you don't get it, you might not make heaven. It's a required reading. <laughs> you must remember I'm Jewish. I have ways and means of guilting you. We have many wonderful CDs. This one is a four-part series about the war room. And when I did this one in Nashville, Tennessee, I got very sick. The devil was mad at me for teaching on prayer. Getting to know the, the subtlety of the devil. You know, the devil's very subtle. He left Jesus for a more opportune time. And the opportune time was when Peter acknowledged Christ as Savior or as the Son of God. And then he pulls him aside to tell him, no, you won't die. The devil's trying to feed Jesus with the thought, you don't have to die. He didn't, he didn't want to die. Jesus didn't want to die. He sweat drops of blood. Didn't want to die. So the devil will wait for subtlety and the, and the attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes very subtle. And if you don't have a relationship with God or walk in the right path of the Lord and have a part of a family you belong to called the church, you will have be more vulnerable. In Africa, where I come from, the lion are heavy and lethargic. When they go hunting, they look for a weaker prey. They'll separate the weaker deer from the rest of the pack and try and pull that one down it's what they do and that's what the devil does he's looking prowling looking for his weak prey so these will be available to you and eric will help you i'm sure do you have a smile oh thank you jeez that's <laughs> my burden to bear what can i say you, you can pick friends but family stuck with <laughs> hallelujah pastor pick five sinners for me please Is he a pastor? Are you a pastor? What do you do? You run a business in health care. All right. You don't know? Just stand up if he picks you, please, so I can. Stand up, please, stand quickly so I don't lose you. He's the king, king of hearts. All right. So, sorry, brother. What's your name, sir? My name is Mark. Mark. My name is Mark. Hello, Mark. Good to meet you. You're a very significant man. That's why I asked if you're a pastor, because I see in the spirit world you are a man of influence. And I don't mean business. Business is great and good, but your spiritual influence. And you'll have people that don't like you. And especially in the, in the kingdom, because you don't conform. That is yeah, do you think I'm making this all up? <laughs> but the Lord specifically marked you. When you got saved, you got saved. It was no joke. You really got turned on. Yeah, you got really turned on to God and you belonged to the Lord. You would have made a good preacher, except that you're too radical. And uh, you, you're offensive because you're so radical. And God loves it for it. He's made you that way because there are many people that are not Christians that will listen to you long before they listen to a preacher because you're so real. And uh, you've went through a valley in your life. And of course, the Christians capitalize on that and they want to judge you because of their little, their little double standard ways. They're not they're ignorant, but it's just a normal life pattern. And uh, God says that's nothing for him, nothing. 
and he wants you to continue in the work that God has given you. He's restoring all things to you that because you went through a patch where you lost a lot and God is going to restore so much more. You're a very generous man. Uh, two of your most difficult things is you radical and then you're also very impulsive. You move very fast. You do, it doesn't take seconds and you make a decision. It has a good side and a bad side. The good side is you're very quick to respond to the Lord and do things God prompts you and he loves that about you. But also you'll run ahead of him and do things he didn't ask you to do because you get a little wild sometimes. And, but all of these things are how God made you, but he's training you to groom those things well. There's been judgments against you, even some disunity in your own family and hurt that God would like to heal and fix. So every judgment that's been against you will be turned around and God will heal. But a lot of it will happen the more quiet you are, the less you talk. So when they call, it's better you don't try and justify or speak. Just, just receive whatever they say because God is your, your helper and wants to heal so many relationships. You are a good man. Let no one tell you otherwise. You're a good man and God is for you. The, all the stuff you've lost, God's going to give a hundred times back to you. Land and homes and many times more. And the mistake you made is in the sea of forgetfulness, nobody may point a finger or accuse you because the law doesn't accuse you. It's that simple. But this is a brand new chapter of your life. Go full speed for the things of God and build his kingdom as you have done in the past. Let God be your helper and your strength. No man will judge you. No man. Erica. What I heard was God was healing your brother. The other thing was that, brother. yeah. Do you know his name? No, I don't. Um, so the other thing was that God's pushing back darkness around you and that he's breaking obstacles that have been hindering you. Um, so but it's, I just feel that the, the whole church here is like, instead of the, the body of Christ that may have uh, been offensive to you, the, the church here welcomes and, and really loves you and, and hugs you if they could tonight. This church? Yeah. This particular church? Yeah, in, in like standing in proxy of the body of Christ. Oh, okay. Like we welcome you okay. and you're loved by the body of Christ. He's saying that because one church or one group didn't receive you, the whole church in, puts their arms around you and loves you and recognizes you. You're a man of God. There's no question. Thank you, brother, for being here. So what's your name in the dark? I can't see you. They have no lights in this church for some reason. I'm not sure what the deal is. Kids him, but he picked me out. <laughs> He's, he picked you out. Uh, thank you, sir. I, I'm Ron McCauley, and this is my wife. Ron? Your name is Ron? Ron, yes. Okay, sir. and you are his wife? Yes, Angela. You, you, his wife, not his daughter. That's very sweet. <laughs> so, how long are you guys married? 51 years. What? <laughs> You're 51 years married? What, were you five years old when you got married? Were you five when you got married? So how many children do you have? Five sons and how many grandkids? Wow, I've got 10 grandkids. I used to love having grandkids until I became the ATM. They always called me, his children called me for money. I said, call your dad. They said, no, we can't, he always says no. So my wife has called us the yes house and his house is the no house. <laughs> a burden I've got to bear, what can I say? So, what do you do, sir, Ron? Uh, car business. 
car business. God has blessed you and given you huge success in your life. And you're an incredible businessman. To the day you breathe your last, you'll always be somehow involved in business. You will always be helping other people. It is your season and time to pass on the great things you've learned. You're an incredibly disciplined man. You don't back down when you believe in something. You don't panic. You don't move. You don't fear. You've gone through storms and you just keep so calm. You're the most incredible gift not to panic, but to deal with situations and fix them. And you have a very good brain for finance and business. And uh, the Lord says you'll always be involved in business somehow. And you'll help other people do business. Of your children, God has made a covenant with you many years ago that your children will serve God. Even those, there are those that have gotten a little lost right now and even a bad attitude towards you. I've always said, because if you raise your kids, you get to spoil your grandkids. If you spoil your children like I did, you raise your grandchildren because they get up to all kinds of mischief. And so you've had some doozies because you kind of spoiled the kids in some ways. Not meaning to, but you did. But the Lord says that I make all things. I don't allow all things. I make all things work together for good. I forcefully make them. So God's going to make it all work together for good. And your children will be all redeemed. That's God's promise to you, every one of them. Every, without your help though. Uh, sometimes so you can be a little bit, not harsh is the word, but sometimes very straightforward. And they all know it already. They know you're going to tell them like it is. And mama doesn't uh, say too much at times because she tries to be upright in every way. But... The Lord is working so wonderfully in your family. This is the most magnificent time of your life. So much is coming together, the blessings of God. You know, the only way for God to bring people to their senses is when nobody helps them. The prodigal son was wanting to eat the pig's food, and when no one gave him anything, he came to his senses. And that's what God's doing right now. He's working, especially in one of them, that's going through a, a thing. And it's because God's doing that for them, for his own benefit. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I don't. I think this may have been five years ago. We were here when you were here, and you prophesied to my granddaughter, and um, you told her three times, "You have to go to college. You have to go to college. You have to go to college." And I don't even remember what else she said. I don't remember if she's a junior or senior. But this morning at 10 a.m., UK called her to say she was accepted in UK medical school. Wow. That's good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Just buy the book then, please. <laughs> I'm so Jewish. So, what's your name, King of Hearts? Bevan. What's your name? It's Bevan. 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 Hi, Bevan. Are you married, Mr. Bevan? No, sir. Do you have children? What do you do? Um, roofing construction. All right, God had roofing construction. Yeah. God has redeemed you. There's no question. The devil had planned, and you'd done some stupid things that God had to rescue you from. Because if you had not had God on your side, you would have been D E A D dead. God rescued you. Your life is more than once God's, and yet you are a magnificent and fantastic man. That's the irony of it all. You are born for greatness. But you lost your way. And now you're back on track. And you're going to do all that God has planned. The devil has lost what he was trying to do in your life. 
and God is redeeming you. Now, people don't take you seriously because you were down in the gutters and they don't expect you to get up and they're waiting for the other shoot of four, but it's not done. You are going to bring many people to Jesus because of your life. God is your strength and your shield, and he's your helper. And he's redeemed your life from the pit. The life has just begun for you. And things are going to fall into place and a blessing upon blessing. You will not stay unmarried. You're going to have a very happy marriage, very happy life. God is going to bless you in every which way possible you can imagine. He's your helper. And you're going to help so many other young people in the ways of God. That's your destiny. Do you understand that? Please don't get too excited. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's bang on. Thank you. I don't know what he said. What did he say? I'm from South Africa too. So. I still don't know what he said. Africa. Where? I was born and raised in um, a place called near, near Queenstown. Queenstown. We're going to Queenstown. Eastern We're going to Queenstown on Monday. Not the, not to, tomorrow, but the week later. Him and I and his one of his children in the Eastern Cape. Yeah, it's called it's called Kamani now. Yeah, Kamani. I've been there many times, and my I was born and raised in in Dordrecht. Where? Dordrecht. Dordrecht. Mm -hmm. All right. Really I was born in Cape Town. Yeah. So we're both African-American. We are. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm very glad to meet you. Can you Afrikaans speak? I can speak Afrikaans. Mooi man. That's my high school. I speak only Afrikaans. That's my tweede taal. Your tweede taal? Yeah. Mooi man. How long have you been here? 16 years. All right. You sound like one of these guys here. All right. I'm glad you're here because God has done a great work in your life. Yeah. You have greatness waiting for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. What I heard for what I heard for you, South African, is that you're you're very capable. You're more than capable to do more than what you're doing now, and that God has got a uh, future for you around uh, young people. And, and adults where you're going to be a voice for him. Man, uh, I believe that you're going to have kids like I see you as a father. So whether they're your own children or someone else's, that you're going to have a very impact as a father. Okay. And what's your name, sir? David. David? Yes. Are you married, David? Yes, I am. Bathsheba? <laughs> no? No. <laughs> what's your name, young lady? What's your Lisa. name? Lisa. Lisa? Yes. Thank you for marrying him. <laughs> it was a dirty job, but somebody had to do it, right? Thank you. She says he's really a prophet. <laughs> so how long are you guys married? About 14 years. 14 yeah. years. You like him still? Oh, I, I like him way better now. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord has done a great Only work. in Lexington. Only in Kentucky. <laughs> What do you do, sir? I drive a truck. You drive a truck. 18-wheeler? Not yet. Not yet, okay. What do you do, ma'am? Lisa, what do you do? Um, I'm a doctor, and I'm also um, in ministry as well. Doing You're a medical doctor? Um, naturopath doctor. A nature kind of doctor? Like a doctor of natural medicine. Okay. Yeah. And you're in this church? No, um, we're in another church. Yeah. There is another church in this country? <laughs> Who knew? All right, well, I'm glad you visited. You're very welcome here. Both of you are very welcome. Uh, you're an unusual lady, to say the least. You've had to fight to keep your head above water emotionally so many years. So many people didn't always understand you or accept you. 
they would fight you because you quite, got quite a personality, Lisa. You sometimes uh, people misread you as pushy, controlling, overpowering, but none of that's true. You're just a natural leader, and you don't have to apologize for who you are. You have your intentions and your motive is always has been and always is pure. You only want to help and do for people. God's restoring your own family that have some have rejected you and kept this distance from you and made it hard for you. And the better you, the more you keep quiet, the more God will fight for you. It's that simple. It's hard for you to keep quiet. It's very hard. But you must try. It's going to help you. As for you, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> God, oh boy. Yeah. God is making you strong. Because you let things happen too long. You were bullied and intimidated and pushed down and abused. And God doesn't, God doesn't want someone else to be your strength. He wants him to be your strength. He wants you to rise up and know that God is uh, not only for you, but had you born for a purpose. You were not any accident, and all the mistakes you made, and God, there have been so many of them, that God has wiped them all away. Amen. And you need to stop reciting or rehearsing them because it doesn't please God one bit. Because God has got a new thing for you. Do you Amen. understand? Now, I'm, re I'm releasing you and removing this, these words that you are stupid and that you're a loser. <sighs> because it's been spoken too much, and it's not true. And don't you ever say that about yourself again either. Because I see you kicking a tire, but you've got something, and you're saying, I'm so stupid. Don't you ever say that again. Because you're a blessed man of God. Do you understand? And great shall be your reward if you do God's, God's bidding. He will help you. Thank you so much for being here, two of you. Okay. Nothing? You want to make something up? All right. Then the gentleman behind you, what's your name, sir? Garrick. Garrick? Yep. Did I say, do I say it right? Yes, Garrick? Sir. What's your last name? Williams. Garrick Williams. Yes. Hi, Mr. Garrick Williams. Do you go to this church? No. Does anybody go to this church? <laughs> Where do you go, Garrick? I pastor a church in Winchester. Kentucky. Well, that helps a lot. I don't want you to come here. You've got your own church. <laughs> Where is that? That's about 25 miles east of here. You sound like you're from these parts. You've got that accent the way... They tell me I have an accent, but I sound like God when I talk. <laughs> he sounds like this. He doesn't sound like that. Okay. I'm just saying. Are you married? <laughs> yes, sir. You have one wife? Yes. And how many children? Two. That's it? You didn't fill the earth? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you have a gift for business in you. You've always had it inside of you. You're a natural leader and gifted in so many ways. What's difficult for you is when people don't appreciate all your good efforts. That's very hard for you because you do everything right and people still criticize. That's really, when you've made a mistake, you, you can own it and you can recognize it, but when you've done nothing but good, that is hard for your soul because people have turned against you in the church and God says, welcome to my club. <laughs> God had his Lucifer and Christ is Judas. Why wouldn't you have a betrayer? Why wouldn't you have someone speak against you? <laughs> they do it all the time to God and God does nothing but good for them. So don't take it personally. You've had some people walk out of your church and they can take their money with them. Because God's your source, not them. And when the sooner you grasp that, God, then you'll do the work that God's really called you to do. He didn't call you for the diehards and old wineskins. He called you for the fresh new blood. He's called you for the next generation to raise them up, to be a dad and to bring young people in. And God will give you a whole army. That's what God promised you. 
And so the, in a situation now where you need a breakthrough, even financially, you need a help in some building issues, God says, I'm going to take care of it all, but say, focused on me, not on man. Let them go, the ones that must go, and I will bless your church. It's God's promise to you. All right, the first thing that I heard was there's a move for you. The second thing is a that, move. yeah, a move. I don't know if that's your house or your building, but the second thing was that God's going to help you go higher and he's helping you go farther, your reach and how you are spreading the gospel. Wow. Sounds, what's your wife's name? Shonda. Shonda. Yeah. Sounds like a tongue. Shonda, Shonda, Shonda. No. And your children's names? Joshua and Jonathan. Jay and Jay. One and 17. Yeah, Joshua's got a personality and a half, and uh, he's got some leadership skills, finding his way, and he will. He'll find his way without your help. He'll do it pretty good. You, you kind of help too much. Let them, let them find the way that makes him stronger. And the next one's name is? Jonathan. Yeah, uh, he's strong. He knows what he wants, and he's almost a little pushy side because oh, yeah. he, he knows how to get where he's going and uh, doesn't always listen. can be stubborn sometimes. But you have very good boys, and they will always be, always be a great help to you. That's God's promise. Sir, can I tell you, um, back in January, I was here, and you gave me a very similar word. And uh, except for back in January, I was seeking the Lord. I retired from a career about a year ago, year and a half ago. Back in January, I was considering as to whether or not I had made a mistake and was going to go back to my job. And you said no, 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 and, and some other things. And you spoke to me about young people and, and the same type of thing, and you just encouraged me to have faith in God and remember those things. Sir, since January, our church has quadrupled. We are needing a new building. And just literally in the last month, I've picked up about 20, 17 to 21 year olds yep, that's right your, in that area. That's so audacity. thank you so much. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Okay. You want to pick some more people, Pastor? How about your own people? All five of them. How about that dog boy? God bless you. Leaving? Yeah, I have to go meet him. Okay, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, he'll love this, my son, Pierce. Your son, Pierce. Oh, boy. Gotta stand up. That's right. <laughs> All right, so uh, I see you've got a tiresome father in the, in the spirit <laughs> that needs prayer. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. So, you in real estate, I know that you told me that, and so a lot of success awaits you. You have this uncanny, positive tenacity, and you have great discernment. The funniest thing is you read people so well. And what makes you strong is you don't need people. They don't have to like you, don't care. Because you have confidence, your family built in a tremendous confidence in you. And you are where God wants you to be. You must know that God never planned for you to live in another state or another town. He wants to bless you right here where you are. You're not going to date a bunch of girls. You're going to only date one and marry one. It's that simple. She is stunningly beautiful. Her name is... Um, uh, it's not coming to me yet. <laughs> he didn't even 
move a muscle when I said that. <laughs> you didn't. Uh, but she is beautiful. She's very attractive and um, it's amazing, like a model almost. And I'm not sure how that even that's possible. She, maybe she thinks you have money or something. <laughs> but the Lord's hands upon you and you will be involved in the kingdom of God. You just, you have no desire to do spiritual stuff, but you will because it's very natural. You're just very real. That's what makes you so unique. There is no agenda with you. You're just who you are. Amen. And that's what's going to be such a blessing to so many people. I haven't heard you sing, but there's music inside of you. And God will use it for his glory in the most uncanny way to touch people's lives at the right time. Nice. Yes, sir. That's what I'm saying. Amen. Thank you. All right. Just the one thing that I heard was that you're going to bring help, uh, help bring healing to people's lives. God's going to give you his growing a gift of wisdom. And uh, so that you'll bring godly counsel that will bring healing through words. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Pierce, not Parker, but Pierce. What's your name, young lady? Erica. Erica. He's got an Erica that's almost a little annoying sometimes. <laughs> she, she calls, she's the one that FaceTime now when I'm in church. Does She's hungry for what? She wants money, I can tell you. No, yeah. His kids. She's, he's got twins. One of them is Erica. So you married Miss Erica? No. Would you like to be? Yes. Just point and click. <laughs> Do you like anybody here? Not yet. I don't know. Not yet. Are you blushing? <laughs> I'm kidding you, Eric. I'm just teasing you. What do you do? Uh, I'm a scientist. What do you do? Okay. Um, I do research and I mentor. Okay. Good job. And you're in this church? Yes. Thank God we have someone in this church. Erica, your value is not in your education or your achievements that you've made because you had to fight for where you are. It didn't come naturally. You had to work at it. And uh, you had a lot of strange things in your own life's journey. And you had some disappointments in years gone by. But your value isn't who you are. You're the most consistent, dependable person that people all around you hang on to. You're like everybody's anchor. Not mama. You're not a mother. You're an anchor. It's like you have this way about you that you always have a confidence and a determination that it can be done. Things can work. And you've been touched by God. In your own bloodline and family, there have been those that have had ups and downs with God. But always there was a God awareness, a God conscious, a God calling, a God. And that's what's spilled over to you. And you, you have still a search in your heart for the Lord. There is another international journey that God has planned for you. And in that journey, some unusually great things are going to happen for you. So be prepared for that. Here we go. Yeah, what I hear is that there's a, a fresh river of life of the Holy Spirit coming out of you to other people, and that's why they are drawn to you. And the Holy Spirit is really going to uh, blow uh, on you and, and take you in a new direction. Uh, you said that you're a scientist. I, I, I feel that there's a new change coming ahead of you, and that might be just a travel, but I think there's more that God has for you, like a ministry that's going to be birthed in the future. Amen. Thank you. What's your name, young fella? What's your name? My name's Brian. Brian. And next to you is your fiancé. Did you know that, ma'am? <laughs> Just checking. And, and uh, how long have you known each other? 
a few months and you're going to get engaged. Engaged? Are you engaged already? All right. When we, when's the wedding date? Uh, spring. April. Wonderful. Did you know that, sir? Yes, sir. <laughs> the Lord has given you a new chapter, a new life, a new chance of life. There's no question. And he wants you to take it all. Uh, you have confidence in the Lord. You do. And yet this, you feel the unsettled and unfinished things that have to be fixed in your past, in your life, in your families. And God says, I want you to turn it all loose into my hands. Let me work with it, not you. What I need you to do is put your hands to the plow and move forward. Because I gave you a new lease of life. I've gave you a new chance. Because the enemy had a plan to kill you, destroy you, wipe you out, keep you completely under the weather, messed up. And I've, I have given you a new lease of life. God will bless you in business and help you. And even though sometimes you can't remember some things you think, it's coming back to you all the time. God's going to give you all the abilities and uh, he's going to be your strength and your shield. As for you, ma'am, the horror that you've come through in your life and the disappointments are past. This is a new day and God wants you to take the chance and to be happy. Take the chance. Be happy. He's a good guy. And sometimes he's a little slow. He's going to pause. He's healthy. There's nothing wrong with him, but he's going to pause at times to stop. And it's like, he, are you okay? And it's like he's just, I can't explain it to you. It's a strange thing. He just pauses and stands there for a moment, for a few moments. And you've got to just leave him until he's regrouped and then, he, then let him move on. And that's just who he's going to be. And, and he will, but he will succeed. He'll be a fruitful tree is God's promise. Slow, but very sure. Got it? You're a little faster. You're kind of uh, used to going fast. God is repairing so much brokenness in your family. Oh my goodness. There's so much destruction there. And you can't fix it by yourself. And you've been, in your soul, you mourn and grieve. You've got to hand it to God. Hand all your cares to him. Let him fight for you. You got it? Okay. Go. Nothing? Make something up. (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys. What's your name, sir? Caleb. Caleb, and you are? Jay Erica. And you're the one that broke the microphone, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to touch this one. What's it? I'm not going to touch this one. I'm just kidding you. <laughs> so you guys are married legally? Uh, no, November 12th. Okay, November 12th. you're getting married soon. <laughs> Could have a double wedding. <laughs> Dude, like totally. So you sure you want to marry him still, ma'am? Uh, yes. Oh, she's just after your body, as I want to tell you, sir. He says, I'm, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> what do you do for a living, Caleb? Uh, I'm in roofing. You're in roofing? It seems like a lot of roofers here. <laughs> what do you do, ma'am? I'm a dental hygienist. Uh, that's why you smile the way you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I brush my teeth every week, <laughs> whether I need to or not. And floss. And floss. And flossing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding you. Where's your mom, ma'am? Where's my mom? Uh, home. Where's home? Uh, Georgetown. Oh, close by. Yeah. On the, on the north side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God is knocking on your mother's door and wants to heal her life. She's uh, gone too long with this yoke and burden on her life, too long. God is her healer and her strength, and he's going to restore her. Please tell her that. And uh, you are such a great daughter. I want you to know it's not, what's been happening is not your fault. Because you try so hard, and they just, 
don't seem to honor or appreciate you. But it's all going to change. Do you understand? Uh, this is not an escape. This is the destiny, this man. He's such a good guy. He's so honest and so upright. He's just so, and so predictable. He's going to be like a big kid because his own kids will be like kids. They'll be, he'll be like one of them. I just want to warn you up front ahead. But you'll have a very happy life. God's going to bless you. You're going to, have, you're going to fill the row up with those kids. I mean, you're going to turn them out like churn butter. <laughs> Caleb, when you, when you got it, you got it, Caleb. What can I say? <laughs> God will always bless you, Caleb, because you've got a very pure heart. You chose the way of God, and someone raised you right and showed you God's way, and that's why you're pure, pure-hearted, and God will bless you and bless you no matter what you do. You do the most craziest things sometimes. Your angel sweats drops of blood, but always God blesses you because of who you are. Go. Great. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Prophet said. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meaning, uh, <laughs> I heard similar things, but not all of what he heard. So I'm not sure. Other than uh, financially, I felt the Lord was really going to bless you financially. I didn't feel that like you were always going to be in roofing. That it was uh, that God was blessing you in business, and I, I sensed that your family was going to be very uh, effective spiritually in the church, very healthy and very mature. Thank you. Well, he, he had to go. So, Tariq, I'll have him pray for you later. Let's stand if we could. And, uh, uh, yeah, coming up in November, what, third? Uh, third through the, huh? Third through the fifth. Thank you. <clears throat> we'll be having our second annual Two Streams Conference, and our covering uh, brothers will be here with us. Pastor Toye, where Pastor Steph is speaking at the women's conference there in Houston this weekend, and then Pastor Sugan from San Francisco area. Uh, we've been in covenant now for over five years, and we're under the covering of Bishop Oyedipo in, in Nigeria. Uh, God spoke to me about 17 years ago about my life's mission is bringing two streams together, integrity and faith in God's word and demonstration and manifestation of his glory. And this was the, this, when we did this conference in November and it's a saturation. We start out Friday night, it's Saturday morning, it's Saturday night, it's, I mean, it's old time in the word. <clears throat> and, uh, Many of you, how many of y'all were at it this past? Man, it was amazing. This is the greatest event we've ever done, so we're doing it again this year. And it's really this year about, uh, an, uh, God told me it's going to be an uncommon anointing to empower you in kingdom exploits, an uncommon anointing for kingdom exploits. So you want to be here, be a part of that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Here, Mark, finish it out. And then next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday, we're having a, you know, hey, if some of y'all visiting, since half of y'all don't come to church, so like, if you got a church home, go there, I'm just kidding, but next Sunday, we're having Celebration Sunday, the choir will be there, we're baptizing people, we're doing baby dedication, it's just going to be an amazing celebration weekend, so plan on being here for that, how about we pray ourselves out of here, God, we love you, we are so grateful for your word.